0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Silicon Alley Podcast. I'm your host, William Glass, and on the Silicon Alley Podcast, we talk to entrepreneurs as their journeys are unfolding and get into the mindset of each and every entrepreneur that we speak with. And on today's episode, I have Mike Walls, who is a rapper, artist, creator, and entrepreneur. I met Mike in Detroit at a conference, and his energy and the way that he approaches life and business really resonated with me. So you're gonna absolutely love this conversation that I have with Mike. We go very deep. And really get into the backstory of how Mike began his career. So I hope that you enjoy part one of my conversation with the Mike Walls.
1: You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a circle saying I'll never leave this place. Ooh. Some words got you searching from the bright side over and over until you're looking on the inside. Ooh.
0: All right. So welcome to the Silicon Alley podcast. I'm sitting down with Mike Walls, who is a musician as well as an entrepreneur. And I'm really excited to talk to Mike. We met at uh, the Forbes 30 under 30 event in Detroit uh, in 2019. And uh, this guy's doing some really great things. So I'm excited to sit down and talk to you today, Mike.
2: Man, so glad to be here, William.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, Tell me, tell me a little bit about uh, about Mike. So, what's what's going on?
2: Yo, what's up, everybody? If I can reach you at this time, that means you are connected and you are aligned with the message that is about to stream through us in this conversation. Just very grateful. Uh, My name is Mike Walls. I am the CEO of Free Life Enterprises, a creative producer, director, and artist. Um, I'm from Silver Spring, Maryland. I'm out here in Los Angeles, California, raising the vibrations of the universe through creative art, community, oneness, and holistic, like holistic achievement and lifestyle wellness through a curriculum I call Free Life what's good man
1: <laughs> what's good
0: <laughs> man i I, lo- I love your energy mike and that's one of the things that really stuck with me when we met was just all the positive vibrations coming from what you're putting out and uh i i'm so glad that we're we're able to make this happen and have you sit down today
2: oh man this is supreme honor i am full of joy family like honestly when i met you it was like love at first sight man Like attracts like <laughs> And, you know, good energy knows good energy. So that's what we're here to do. Spread, spread that throughout the world through the gifts that, you know, we're here on earth to serve.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly with that and, and really excited about what you're doing. So tell me a little bit though, about, about Mike, tell me a little bit about your kind of career trajectory and how you've gotten to, to where you are today with, with free life and uh, all the creative work that you're doing.
2: Wow. That's a great question, man. So I grew up, in Silver Spring, Maryland, uh, my mom was an artist, or is an artist at heart, and my dad was an athlete. And my mom was like an artist who appreciated sports because my cousin, he played for, the, for Penn State and in the NFL, Terry Killens, and is now an NFL referee. And he was one of my biggest inspirations growing up athletically. Outside of my dad, who was a three-sport athlete in high school, didn't get to go to college because he lacked the um, the guidance. So he made it a point to use me as a, um, not use me, but more so like manifest his dream through, through my journey. And we shared that same journey as I was a kid growing up. And he was also just like an avid music junkie, too. Like in D.C., we had this music called Go-Go which is native to the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, similar to how, like, hip-hop started in New York. Yeah. From the go-go, I mean, from the disco scene, go-go immersed in the D.C. culture. So with those two together, you know, I grew up as both an athlete and an artist. You know, I've been playing, like, musical instruments since I was in fourth grade, Started on trumpet, went to tuba, actually, which is one of my favorite instruments. From tuba, went to baritone and trombone. And by the time I was in high school, you know, I had to choose between sports and music because all throughout, you know, early elementary school, middle school, and high school, I was playing pop warner basketball, uh, pop warner football, AAU basketball, um, travel baseball. You know, I was just a very active kid. I don't subscribe to this personally, but, you know, they told me I had ADD when I was young. (laughs) And, you know, I guess I just used that as a superpower to put my mind on a lot of different things at once and, and became good at many. So from the time I was young, I was always doing both. And by the time I got to college... You know, I had um, my senior year in high school. Actually, I instead of detaching from music completely because I couldn't play in the bands anymore to stay close to music, I me and my friends from the music program, Stanley and St- Stanley and Stephen Spotswood, created a hip hop group called Primary Element in our basement home studio. And um, I just went over to their house one day. Their dad had a whole like a home makeshift, you know, production studio downstairs in their basement because he was the uh the high school chorus teacher. I went down there one day and I was just like, what are y'all doing, man? He's like, we're making beats. I was picking up some shoes that my godbrother had left them. That was it was love at first sight. When I when I got into a studio for the first time, I became so intrigued. Like as a young black kid, you know, in the early two thousands, everybody was trying to rap, but never calling themselves rappers or anything like that. But like I got behind the microphone for the first time tried to spit some bars was so bad at it that it challenged me to continue to try all through my senior year i was in that studio with the twins and um man at the end of that at the end of the year we had a whole album called lost in the dream and uh it wasn't like something that we i was like trying to pursue because i was going to school to play football at penn state um on scholarship so I was very, very committed to that. I just was always a musician and I never imagined myself having to, you know, choose completely. So, you know, I expressed myself in that way. And by the time I got to Penn State, you know, I was a redshirt freshman, which means you don't play your freshman year. You more so like catch up in school, get bigger, get faster, get stronger, get more knowledgeable about the game. And, you know, take a year instead of playing, you reserve that year and you get that year as a fifth year senior. So in that first year, I was, you know, doing that. But at the same time, people found out that I did music. And it became like a campus wide phenomenon. Like, I was more well known for like, who I was as a musician, of, you know, throughout my college career than I was as an actual football player. Yeah, man, that's how my career started. That's I can we can keep going into the story yeah. but I feel like, you, <laughs> No, I
0: mean, yeah you have I mean there's so many things that i that I want to want to dive into and like love the fact that you were both you know artistic and doing the music and really involved in that and having that creativity as well as sports because I think oftentimes for whatever reason we tend to bucket those out once you like you said once you get to a certain age and I love the fact that you kept going in both and use it sounds like you used both to to kind of help you in in each domain and uh right. that's that's awesome and so you got behind the mic for the first time and you said it was just it was awful. And that challenged you. What was yeah. it about? What is it about? It sounds like being challenged is something that that draws you to something.
2: Yeah, like I feel like anything that I do or have interest in, I want to be good at. Like I remember my best friend Jelani, me and him, like we would spend our summers instead of like going to parties, we would like wake up early at like six o'clock in the morning and do, you know, 9 a.m workouts with our strength coach sky sar and then come back to the crib around noon jump in the pool in the neighborhood find a pool somewhere get in there and by the time you know it was like like you know lunchtime or whatever we would just play guitar hero like until the sunset you know <laughs> yeah. and he was so much better than me like always and i was just like I was an expert on good. If anybody knows guitar hero experts, like the highest level you can be at. But even if you're an expert, you still might not score a hundred percent. Like my guy Jelani was scoring a hundred percent on the hardest songs and I would get like in the eighties or whatever. And that would just always push me. And I, and I think that I always just want to be good at stuff. Like not even out of like a, com, I'm competing with you type thing, but like I'm competing with myself. Like, I I just think that anything you can put your mind to, you can, I love seeing results, you know what I mean? Like seeing the results from practice and how you do one thing is how you do all things. And that's something that I kind of learned instinctually through sports. But I apply that to everything that I do in my
0: life now. I love that. And being able to challenge yourself and having that intrinsic motivation versus just trying to compete with someone else, I think is one of the things that I really want to key in on because that's something that, that really separates people that, that are really focused on how can they do better and improve and, and intrinsically motivated versus extrinsically. And we need a little bit of both, but I think that, that that's something that's really huge. And, and I like the fact that you brought that up specifically.
2: Yeah. Intrinsic motivation is what's going to keep you sustained through the long haul, like the big picture, you know, the journey, the mission, like the, the process, which is the whole point of this whole thing. You know what I mean? And extrinsic motivation is going to be like more, t- more so like short term results. It's like, oh, man, I got to wake up for this workout because I'm extrinsically motivated <laughs> to not get punishers for being late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or my Scholarship taken away. That's an extrinsic motivation as an athlete. Yeah. But if you're intrinsically motivated to, you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, no, I want to get better today. That's why I'm going to my workout. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that mentality, you can do the same action with two different mentalities and get two different results. And one of them is definitely going to last longer. And that's going to be the intrinsic motivation.
0: Yeah,
2: absolutely.
0: You know what I mean? Absolutely. All right. So take me back. So we're at Penn state, yes. you're, you're red shirt freshman. You've now become a campus wide phenomenon for your music. Yeah. So take me through that. What's, what's the rest of the time? How does that play into the rest of your time at Penn state and a uh, career as a, as, as an artist,
2: man? So basically I get to Penn state and after my red shirt year, I'm struggling to get playing time. You know what I mean? Because, you know, Joe Paterno ran a program where seniority was like kind of, it kind of like trumps talent in a way out of, you know, all respect. Every, every program has their own thing, but this one was kind of more like seniority based. And I wasn't the highest, like on the recruiting ladder when I first got there. Like I had all the division one, double A offers I can imagine. I had one one Division one offer from Stanford and another from Vanderbilt, and the third D1 offer in total was uh, from Penn State. And that was the only school I actually got to take an official visit to, and by the time I, I went, I was sold. So like I went there knowing that the odds were stacked against me, you know what I'm saying? That was the last one in my class to get my scholarship. I actually gray-shirted my first semester, which a lot of people don't know, which means which means, like, if you're in the 2012, I don't want to explain it, actually. No, <laughs> yeah, no worries. Basically, basically, you wait a semester and come uh, a semester later than when, you're, than when you graduate. But I went in the fall anyway. Gotcha, okay. So, anyway, I knew all the, all the things were stacked against me, you know what I mean? Um, but I, I went to play at Penn State anyway, because why? I, I want to be the best, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. You know, and I went and I believe Penn State to be the best program I could play for, period. So uh, I'm used to being the underdog. But during that time I was struggling for playing time and I was I really realized they really meant like, yo, if there's a senior in front of you, I wasn't set up to actually play play until like my redshirt junior redshirt senior year, which is like my senior year and my fifth year. So that's like three years I'd have to, you know, kind of just sit down. And that really started to get to me emotionally because, you know, this game that I love to play so much, I wasn't being able to express myself the way that I knew that I could. You know what I'm saying? Like I was traveling, I was on special teams, I was doing my thing, but I really wanted to make plays. And that's what I came there to do, but because I was in that circumstance and I wasn't set to like play and I didn't play for like, I only played really two down, two real downs of like corner at Penn State my whole career. And because I I wasn't playing on the field, I was becoming like depressed and like sad off the field because I wasn't able to do what I love. Fortunately, I was taking school very seriously and my music was buzzing super crazy on campus. And that's really what kept me sane. Like me and my two group mates, Stanley and Steven, we were actually in three different schools at one point recording music in our dorm room from the first uh bowl game that I went to. Okay, so NCAA athletes don't technically get paid, but if you go to a bowl, the trick is you can like buy a really expensive plane ticket and like the team will cover for will cover it but you end up buying the cheapest plane ticket and you keep the difference.
1: <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so,
2: that's a little trick. That's a little whatever, but um, pay athletes. Anyway, so I use that. I use the difference from that bowl money to buy my in-house studio system. So like I bought an interface, I bought a mic, I got Logic Pro and, you know, I had my whole and I got a little MIDI keyboard controller and from my dorm room, I was able to record myself, produce and write my own music alongside Stanley and Steven. Steven would be the one who would be, you know, writing concepts and doing digital graphics, while Stan would be producing the music and engineering and mixing. And we would he would just send us audio files and I would send audio files and we would send it all back to Stan and he would put it together. And we made four albums that way. Primary element did four albums in four years at penn state and only had maybe like three sessions where we were all together Uh, so i mean i was living both lives relatively easily because i had a structure you know now that i am outside of that structure i wanted to initially break away from structure because as an artist and as a free person you'd be like ah you know i need, i want to be free i don't have to be anywhere do anything blah 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 and I always envied like other students who didn't play sports I always envied that opportunity for them but like realizing in retrospect now that structure is actually what enabled me to be so efficient like I knew I had practice from a certain time from a certain time I knew I had uh, classes from a certain time to a certain time and any blocks in between I would use that as efficiently as possible to make or perform music on campus, and you know, after a while, like it just sh- started to show results like <laughs> i yeah. was I was booking shows, I was selling merch, I was in compliance every other week <laughs> <laughs> because you know NCAA compliance are the people who try to who keep you eligible under the NCAA rules, and because I was like an anomaly, meaning like I could only pursue my music career because I was a published artist before I signed my national letter of intent. And that was the stipulation that allowed me to continue to use my own likeness to uh, build a brand for myself, and eventually the foundation of my company that I'm here operating today. And I just feel like I'm glad that I was able to be that example, because I think that student athletes should be able to use their likeness to do whatever they need to do, especially if they're not getting paid. so Compliance was on my head like (laughs) every week, you know what I mean? But got it done. So some of my greatest moments at Penn State was like, you know, headlining Arts Fest on Old Main. That was like a huge deal. You know, I performed with MC Light. I sold out my first show with the late, great Mac Miller. And bro, it was just, it was like a dream. You know what I'm saying? On one hand I'm playing in front of 110,000 people every Saturday um strapped up in the blue and white and then like in the off season or on days where i'm not traveling or any time that is appropriate that doesn't conflict with my responsibilities i was doing music you know everybody had free time i use my free time to do something productive and pursue a dream that i was passionate about and i encourage college students to do the same you know
0: that's awesome. And I think that's great advice for, for college students and just everyone, honestly, using, using your free time more productively and pursuing things that you're passionate about. And I like that you, that you really went into the fact that the structure is what allowed you to be able to, to excel it in these different areas and gave you the ability to pursue your passion.
2: Yeah. And I didn't always feel that way. You know what I'm saying? Because at the end of my college career, I actually got injured, you know, during the, during my senior, my redshirt, my true senior year, my shirt junior year, the, um the scandal at Penn State happened with, you know, Jerry Sandusky, Joe Paterno passing, and a whole slew of like, unimaginable, you know, trauma and drama. And it was just like a catastrophe, as you can imagine. So during this time, we get a whole new like coaching shift and I was finally able to get like a clean slate in a way from a from a positive perspective. So like I was ready to play. I was starting in the spring game and all of those things. And um, during the summer, I, I was bench pressing for my backs as we were testing and I tore my my right pectoral muscle, internal pectoral tear. And that caused me to like not be able to play that season, which in turn, because of the sanctions placed against us by the NCAA caused me to lose my scholarship. And I lost a year and a half of eligibility at Penn State because of that. So like imagine thinking that you have a whole year and a half to like do your thing. I am sat for three years. I'm about to play for the next two. It's going to be a beautiful thing. And then all of a sudden it just gets taken in an instant. And all you have left is like school and whatever you was working on. And fortunately I was working on music, you know, and that became like my foundation and the safety net to make the best use of the last semester of school that I had left to graduate. And um, it was a hard time, man. Like it was such a big uh, shift in my life from a physical standpoint, you know what I'm saying? Cause you know, I got injured From an emotional standpoint, because I can't play the game that I worked and was patient for and, you know, had my heart set on doing. And like from a, like, you know, psychological standpoint, because the trauma that surrounded that whole experience on top of like an injury, it really put me in a place, you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I would then deal with all that, you know, later in the story. But in that moment, I really had to figure out how I was going to make the best use of this last semester. So, you know, I went a hundred percent in, I focused on finishing all my core classes for my telecom degree, graduated in the winter and, um, man started this radio show that was called off the walls radio. <laughs> it was the first hip hop radio show at, um, Penn state's the line, 97 FM bro. Like, everybody on that show were like misfits you know what I'm saying like we had Paige O'Donnell who was getting she's like this white girl who loved hip-hop and she was getting kicked out of her sorority at the time my man Aiden Graven who was my best friend and manager and like creative partner to this day he moved out to LA with me but like he (laughs) he was going on his fifth year he was like a fifth year like uh senior which to some people you know if you don't graduate on some people like feel a way about that shane was on academic probation kim was like this black tall looked like he should play play basketball but he was really a trap dj who loved frat parties and it was just like it was just like (laughs) the most awkward like amazing group of people to come together and talk shit from like eight to ten every tuesday and wednesday and that became like the catalyst for a lot of my um success in the music industry because that radio show allowed me to get into the rooms um, and get into like behind the scenes to the actual industry. Cause what we would do, I told Paige, I was like, listen Paige, if you don't wanna be pre-med. Oh yeah, she was pre-med. She was supposed to like be a doctor. (laughs) We were were drunk at McDonald's one night and I met her and she was like, yo, I heard you had this radio show, man. That's the coolest thing ever, man. I'm in pre-med and I don't wanna do this shit and I hate everything that I'm into but I have to do it and I was just like yo you don't have to do anything you know what I'm saying like I had to be at practice every single day for like three years yeah you don't have that obligation I had to be this place do this do this y'all can do anything y'all want and at that moment when I was talking to Paige I was like wow like a lot of students who don't play sports who really have the ability to do whatever they want to make the best out of their whole college experience they still choose not to because of fear and external pressure and you know what how much money they think they're going to make and it was just like wow wow people are not free and i am and i realized that so i became so that's where the this concept called like free life Like, you have to live your life free, Paige. This is the free life, fam. Like, I would just talk to people about this. Because me, I'm coming into all this new time that I never had, right? I'm coming into all this, like, new opportunity to really maximize my skills the way that I wanted to on the field my whole career, but couldn't and can't at this point. I'm doing that now on campus, on the ground, on my radio shows, created a label, you know what I'm saying, got all the biggest talent, the best talent in every like department of the school. My man, Matt Brady, he was a photographer, digital creator. My my girl, Carissa Maxwell, she was in PR communications. All these different people came in, like Aiden was in economics, you know, Paige. She she was in pre-med, but she wanted to be in communications. So she switched her whole major and started living the free life. (laughs) So I started, (laughs) you know, converting people. And like, you know, the the results showed. you know, Paige switched her major to communications. She was with, she wrote with me to the very end. You know what I'm saying? Like, I told her, I was like, listen, if you want to do this, I am going to use this platform to put you on and you're going to interview every celebrity that steps foot on campus, period, point blank. That's it, that's all. She was like, I'm I'm with it. And that's it exactly what we did. Everybody who came to Penn State to perform, to do a show, anything, we used that little media, that student media credential, and we was in there. You know, whether or not we had an interview, whether or not that credential was valid, <laughs> whether or not you knew we were coming, we were we found a way, man. We snuck into the backstage of BJC so many different times, interviewed Juicy J, Charlemagne the God early Chance the Rapper, Shwayze, Asher Asherah, you know, the list goes on. And through those interviews, not only did we get to build connections and like get incredible game and insight from people who are really in the places that we wanted to be, but it actually connected us. It connected us to, the, to people who would later make a difference in our careers. Um, Paige to this day, because of our Charlemagne interview with um, Off the Walls Radio, is now uh, Charlemagne's executive assistant and has been working with him ever since she uh, left Penn State, started living the free life. So it's uh, incredible. Yeah, man, it's, it was a blessing. And that and from there, you know, set the foundation to go to L.A. and, and create the same success on campus as I did. Um, I mean, create the same success in L.A. as I did at happy valley and you know the story goes on that's section b uh-huh. <laughs> we'll get into that later
0: but yeah that's all that's yeah that's incredible and you know I, I, I love how you were able to take essentially this dream that you had that was crushed with an injury and scandal and and turn and turn that momentum that energy that could have brought could have brought you down right i mean you, you mentioned right. it was that's tough you worked your almost your entire life to to be able to have this opportunity, and it's just taken away. And then to be able to turn that into into what you were able to is just it's truly incredible.
2: Man, I, I'm I'm so blessed, man. And during the time I had no idea why, you know what I'm saying. Like I had no idea why I was being put through all that. Why I was so passionate about creating a different lane. Why I was doing all this stuff during football, in spite of the fact that my coaches were probably mad that I was more popular than their quarterback <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i mean no not not on the ego level but i went through such a unique journey and i'm i'm realizing now that it was all for the purpose of showing people how to maximize their experience and and, and show people that you can do it especially athletes and artists man like yeah athletes go through it bro like I have a lot of friends who are, who have made it to the professional um, level of of their sport. And, you know, the, the stark reality is as an athlete, your career is going to be over. You're going to live longer than you are going to be playing your sport, you know? And if you don't diversify your interests, whether that is not to say that you shouldn't be pursuing the greatest, the, the greatest achievements you can in your sport, but you have to be able to diversify your interests cuz even if you even with the money that you make how are you going to use that how are you going where are you going to put it to grow you know what i mean and like what are you going to do with your time when that when there yeah. when there is no game what what game Absolutely. are you going to transition into where do you, where's your heart connect to why are you doing this in the first place and yeah. if and if your ambitions you know stop with making it to the league or being the best in the league like there, there, there comes like that identity crisis that that happens you know and i want to help athletes like navigate their their journey as you know collegiate and professional athletes so that they don't have to go through you know all the all the pain and suffering that comes with not knowing who you are yeah. you know when that helmet comes on.
0: Absolutely. That's one of the the big things for athletes when they and I've, I've heard this especially for for Olympic athletes that after after the Olympics there's a big depression that people go through and I think Sean White's talked about it and Michael Phelps now talks about how, you know, therapy is the only thing that really saved him after, you know, after his his career and that's that's a big a big problem for for athletes specifically, specifically especially, you know, athletes that are professionals and make it to such a high level.
2: Yeah. Yeah it is, man. And um I think it starts with you know, college. Like you know, this whole professional system starts when you're young, you know what I mean? Like you get bred into this, kind of like how I was, from the time you are in Pop Warner to the time you make it to high school to the time you get to college to the time you're a professional. It's like that's what you eat, sleep and breathe, but coaches and educators have to do a better job at, you know, making more well-rounded athletes. And there, there should be more examples of those. You know, LeBron does a great job, you know, with his more than the athlete campaign. But, you know, yeah. in college, I really, I really want to, one of my biggest goals is to create curriculum for professional or collegiate athletes who aspire to be in a professional athletic realm. It's like you can major in anything else at college, but you can't major in professional athletics. <laughs> Why is yeah. that professional sports not a major? Interesting. So, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like if I if there was a professional sports manager, you know, there would be financial literacy and financial management. There would be, you know, time management. There would be like a creative electives. You know what I'm saying? There would be like PR and marketing. It would be like branding and how to be a brand. You know what I'm saying? Like all these things they don't teach you in college. Um, and it, and it makes you And it doesn't put you in the best position to win when you get to the professionals. They actually hinder you in college by not allowing you to express those things or get that type of experience um, because the NCAA regulations are so constricted. Like if I can't, if I'm as as a college athlete or a college kid can't, you know, create a brand or monetize myself because you own my likeliness, then by the time I do own it, I have no experience now to leverage that and monetize so you know we got some work to do
0: isn't the ncaa didn't they vote recently to to start to try to change some of that with the likeness rule and
2: you know i hope so i'm, I'm a little i'm a little tapped out of that industry but i'm praying that that happens
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I don't have My finger on the post the way i should but like Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. But I think something in like 2021, <laughs> they're supposed to, they're, they're starting to shift that. And I don't think they've figured out what they're going to do. But I think they know that with just social media and stuff like you, you almost can't help being a brand if you have any friends at all and have any presence online. So, you well, know, exactly. they kind of got to fix that at some point. But, you know, I, I think you're, you're spot on in terms of creating curriculum and guidance. And it sounds like you've just, it's something that you naturally have of drawing people in and and being able to to help them is that something that you've uh, just naturally had when it comes to you know off the wall radio off the walls radio show and bring in that group of misfits together
2: yeah I mean that's an interesting point and I appreciate you acknowledging it I think community has always been something that I value you know playing sports you know you're essentially in a community you're on a team you know what I'm saying brotherhood you know like Working together for a common goal. Like, I think, yeah, um, I think through sports, I, I found that that leadership role to bring people together, especially when you're like playing basketball or something like that, and you're the point guard, which is the position that I grew up playing. You know, you, you have to bring people together. You don't have to be vocal, you might be able to be lead through action. And um, yeah, man, I just believe also that you can do a lot more with a collective than you can individually. You know, I think a lot of times people um, with a lot of talent, they want to do things for them, through them, take all the credit. But like, the truth is, you know, you become a mastermind when you use not only your brain and abilities, but the brains and abilities of others for a collective purpose. And um, it took a lot of growing up to understand that fully, but collaboration is the key to massive success.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. I think that, that that's, that's huge being able to find and create a common community around a goal or whatever you're working towards and getting a group of people together. It's just, there's so many benefits, um, as you mentioned. So I, I I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yes, sir. So, okay. So tell me a little bit about where we go next in your story, right? So you've created this great community. You started to help change the people that are these misfits, their their kind of trajectory and, and introduced and started to come up with this concept of the free life. Um, yeah. So what's that transition process from, from going to Penn State, you end up out in L.A.? T- talk to me about that.
2: Well, you know, moving to L.A. was like the biggest, I guess it was like the biggest demonstration of what the free life was to me at that time. You know, I was... Preaching this thing, I was telling people about it. I was living that, you know, showing people that this athlete is now, you know, headlining shows at Webster Hall, now, you know, producing interviews with some of the biggest talent in the industry. And it was like, I knew from the second that I had an expiration date that whatever I was going to do in music or entertainment, I was taking to one of the capitals, either New York or LA. And, you know, Me and Aiden at the time, Aiden Graven, that's my guy. You know, he was um, my music director, my co-producer, my creative director, partner, and my manager all at the same time. And he was uh, as down as I was to, like, really make this dream happen because we've had so much success together already. And we just believed in ourselves so much. So he pulled up with his Toyota Corolla, pulled up to my house. I hopped in the car and we drove to L.A. And <laughs> um, it was really that simple. We probably have $400 in our pockets combined. Uh, we were moving in with uh, our producer who did uh, the first two albums of mine. His name's Killer Kate. He had a spot in West Hollywood and we crashed on his floor for like the first six months in L.A. And uh, man, like we went out there to finish my second project, The Layover. And when we got there we realized that we were so ill equipped <laughs> to do what we did on in college with all this abundance of resource in a place that is so unforgiving <laughs> in a place that has totally different rules totally different resources and we don't have access to to none of them <laughs> wow. so we 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 failed really really hard in the first like year and a half of my career you know what i'm saying out in la like, I didn't know anything. Like, we raised some money to, to put the project together, lost it all in a bad PR deal, like, mismanaged the whole thing. Like, made bad investments on people who we thought were gonna elevate the craft. You know, we shot a music video on a red cam. You know, I'm really actually getting, you know, experience at directing, which is something I didn't know I was doing this whole time. But, like, getting out to LA, I realized, like, what it was. But, you know, we were overspending on. A lot of stuff. And, um, you know, the, the the city got the best of us and it, and it really humbled both of us. Yeah. But it, it also put a strain on our relationship, too. So, like, I spent a lot of time, you know, when you're like with any business, with any partnership, when you go through those hard times, like the test of character really shows up. And, you know, we were both young, inexperienced, not knowing like what we were doing. And, like, you know, we actually stopped working together for a bit of time yeah, LA just became this, this monster, or this, like, nightmare that, like, I didn't anticipate, so the worst, the, my, like, my worst fear came true, and at this time, when I was living in LA, I was like, if I'm not an artist, I'm nobody, you know what I'm saying, I'm also suffering, like, identity crisis from not being an athlete anymore, like, my health habits aren't good, you know what I'm saying, I'm not working out, I'm gaining weight, you know what I'm saying, like, yeah. And I'm yeah. still healing. I'm still healing physically and emotionally from all the trauma that I had I just kind of escaped from. You know what I'm saying? And um, yeah, so during that time, like the second year in L.A., I just became super humbled. I was like, OK, I can't do music at the high level. Matter of fact, I'm not doing music at all at this point because I don't have any money and the project didn't do as well as it was supposed to. I need help and I need money. You know what I'm saying? So like,
1: yeah.
2: So I applied to Apple and I got a day job at Apple at the Grove. And, you know, I was in L.A. the second year, like working a day job, not doing music and just kind of figuring it out as I went along. And Apple was beautiful, you know, because one, I had I was I was stable. I had I had bread. But then I realized I was like, I'm out in Los Angeles, California, like not doing what I came here to do but I, instead I'm just working, I could work anywhere. And um, it was such a, it was such an interesting time, grateful for the blessing, but also distracted from the mission. Yeah. And I think a lot of creatives, I think that's like the the number one formula that we're all trying to solve, right? It's like, what's the ratio of like putting food on the table and getting money to like pursuing the dream. And hopefully they, those two bubbles <laughs> come together and and, <laughs> yeah. and, and create harmony. Um, so I'm there for a year. I'm like getting depressed again. I'm not creating. But what I did do instead of doing music was I shifted towards film. My cousin, she ran the Hollywood Film Festival and the Hollywood Black Film Festival. Tanya Kersey, Brittany and Monique Love. Those are my cousins. <laughs> um, and they, we, it's, it's like this family business that, that I kind of came into. But me not really interested in film like that because I'm here to do music. As you can tell, I was very narrow-minded, which is good sometimes, but, like, when you're in a state of growth, I think it's good to be open and expand to, to new things, right? Sure. So, yeah, yeah. So I interned okay. with my auntie. I, you know, was a was a PA at her event. She did this beautiful, beautiful film festival in, in Hollywood. It was at the W Hollywood. All these different producers, famous people were there. And this is a whole new industry that I thought I'd be in, but nevertheless, I'm here. Yeah. So. I make my connections in there. I ended up you know interning for a producer named Rashad Freer um and he taught me the foundation for what I do now, which is producing movies and content and um I learned how to create decks and for those who don't know what a deck is, a deck is a presentation that like kind of lists out all the details for a project, including like money, how it's gonna be spent, what it is, who's a part of it. And um, people produce like this is what like pre production is. So you put all of these production details on papers. Like Idris Alba's gonna be in it. Mm-hmm. Denzel's gonna be in it. It's gonna be like this movie. It's gonna cost this. We're gonna shoot this to the, you know, all the all these things. So I would do that, and at the same time I was producing a spinoff of Off the Walls Radio called Off the Wall, Off the Walls TV, and. Okay. This became like the platform that I use to do exactly what I did in college, find information from people who have it and give it to people who need it, like myself. So I started Off The Walls TV. A producer by the name of Polyester the Saint was probably one of my first mentors as a musician and a young artist out in the L.A. scene. You know, he is a legend in and of himself. He runs a studio that I was attracted to from the time I was on the East Coast called Truth Studios. And I remember watching the content that came out of there, like freestyle videos from all my favorite artists. Um, and this was kind of like the studio that all like the budding artists of the time would go to right before they broke. You know what I'm saying? So like Kendrick Lamar has a, uh, has a photo in there, Champ, okay. SZA, like Asher, you know, like just anybody yeah, yeah. can think of that was like, Truth Studios is like the stomping grounds for like hip hop culture on the low. And when I got the opportunity to interview Polyester, you know what I'm saying? I actually used that as an opportunity to create the relationship that would then allow me to produce my third project, the work, in a real studio for the first time with a professional producer and engineer, Polyester, to go to the next level of my career. So, I think, (laughs) I think, think, like, I'm sorry, this is, I'm I'm telling the movie right now, like, this is, my, my journey's been great, but really... I think the lesson in that era from like the time I got to LA to the time I started creating again was, you know, it's okay to take a step back. It's okay to like be humbled and to kind of reverse engineer your approach to what you, what you actually want. Like I always wanted to do music, but I had to use another talent to get closer to the thing that I really wanted to do while at the same time producing something valuable that works with the thing that I wanted to yeah. do. Actually, creating something, creating a bigger vision than what I initially came to LA for. During that time, too, like I'm at Apple, I'm doing film stuff, I'm starting to work on my project. And just as this momentum is starting, I'm attracting the greatest gift that I would ever receive. And that is a transfer of New York Apple employees to my store at The Grove. And these guys consisted of Kiara the Voice, Badi. Kiki Dexter, Bugs, just a bunch of creatives who came to the Apple store when there were no creatives there before. I was the only one and I was losing my mind. I had no friends and I (laughs) I had no creative friends and I was just slipping into being an Apple employee more than I was an artist. And by the time they got there, it was just in time before I, you know, just gave it all. Not that I would give it all up. But like, I was on my, I was at edge. These guys came to the Apple store and they saved my life. You know what I'm saying? They came to my store, they were new to LA. I had a year and a half on them. I showed them the ropes, they collaborated with me. And we, and that became like the foundation for the community and collective that I am a part of today. And, um, you know, Kiara, the voice, she's, I call her my twin, like, me and her, she, she's a actress, a model, a host, She's a rapper now, but like she came to LA to do like vocal acting. So just like, and at the time I was doing off the walls TV. So I was like, yo, do you want to like do this with me? I need a co-host. And, you know, with my experience with, you know, Paige off the walls radio keys was like another version of that, you know what I'm saying? And then we got together, created our own podcast called open door policy. And that is what enabled me to meet my mentor, the man who changed my life, and one of the biggest icons in culture today, Lorance Dobson, CEO of 1500 or nothing in the 1500 Sound Academy. Through an interview with Rance, we were able to not only share a great conversation, produce some great content, but that, like all these interviews, because of the nature of them, we're having conversations on high levels. I'm asking questions about, man, like what are your habits? <laughs> it's yeah. like, what are, what's your thought process? Like, I don't care how many cars you drive, but like, what state do you have to be in to manifest these things? And because the conversations were so dense and rich, you know what I'm saying? Like, Everybody who I talked to became friends with and Rance became a friend and he invited us to, you know, be a part of the 1500 and nothing squad. He was like, yo, I'm like building an empire. I got a big vision. I'm already he by this time, he was already like Grammy award winning. He was already like famous and rich, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But, you know, he allowed us to come in. And um, I remember one day, like two weeks later, I'm like having a bad day at the store. Keys comes up to me. She's like, Mike, what's wrong, bro? I'm like, man, this shit not working out, man. Like, I spend too much time here. I got so much stuff I want to do. Every, all, all the money that I'm making here is going right into studio time, so I barely have no money. And she's like, Mike, what are you doing, bro? Rance Dobson, CEO of 1500 Nothing, told you to pull up on him at the studio, and here you are complaining about being here. Get the fuck out of here and go to the <laughs> studio. You know? And uh, she like she she really like pushed me to do that, and I I went. I had a meeting with Rance. He told me that he was building a school. He has an idea for a documentary, but in reality, he's like kind of like five years away from this. You know, in retrospect. Yeah. But I believed in him, and he had all of the information and the knowledge and the experience and the opportunity that I wanted, and I had all the tools and the skills and the perspective that he needed to make 1500 or nothing, a global digital brand. And so we collaborated and have since been, you know, creative partners, but you know, that that transition in that story, you know, in that side of the story, that's what transitioned me to like, getting inside the industry, like trading my skills for information and experience. And I was yeah. essentially an intern, but you know, I quit my job at Apple that day. <laughs> the, second I got to the, the second I got to the studio, I put my two weeks in and I never came back. And man, free life.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's incredible. And there's so many different twists and turns, but at the same time, there's a common thread that you, at the end of the day, know what you want. And even getting beaten down and having, having that first project fail on you and having to go get a day job with Apple and then still creating on the side and then bringing this group together with Off The Walls TV and and just all of the the different little pieces that ultimately have got you to that point is that's, that's incredible. That consistency, even though there appears to be a lot of randomness at the same time. Oh my gosh, bro.
2: Like you have to understand when I was moving the way I was moving, especially in that time, everybody thought I was crazy. You know what I mean? Like people couldn't understand why I quit my job to work for free for somebody they didn't know you know what i mean like
1: oh yeah
2: it was random to me but at the same time like i had blind faith like almost to a fault you know i knew that i was out there for a reason i knew i had a purpose i was always attached to that inner knowing you know and throughout all the trials and tribulations like no matter how hard the wind blowed i was grounded in that knowing and Not to say it was ever easy or not to say that I ever didn't want to. I never wanted to give up, actually, but it was always there was parts of it that were super, 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 super hard. And a part I didn't mention was also I got a girlfriend at that time and she changed my life, too. And um, just balancing everything in life as a young adult, but trying to do like produce the results of the top achieving executive You know, there was a lot that I had to learn. There was a lot that I was, that I wanted to have, but I was also willing to, to learn. So like when I got to 1500 or nothing, you know, I was working on my third album and I finished it, but because of everything that I was being exposed to and the opportunities that I had, I actually put my music on the back burner to take a, take a step back and learn. You know what I mean? Like I could keep doing the same thing. Making music is not the hard part. Everything else is, you know, like being in a position to, to do something on a high level. So I had to have an ego check again. You know what I'm saying? I was like, should I could, I could push my album or I could really take a step back to like learn everything that I don't know and come back to this music thing when I'm more grounded, when I'm more developed and I have, you know, all the resources to do what I actually know I can do
0: so one of uh, one of my good buddies who's who I went to college with, and he lives in New York now, so we both live in new york now and that 's one of the things that he talks about is that it 's like ninety percent of it isn 't making music it 's all the other things that go into being an artist and You know, it's all the marketing, the branding, the, you know, knowing how to put together a project together, the production. There's so much more than just, you know, performing. The music part's easy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but it also takes, but you also have to be way better than everybody or way better than you think you are at the actual craft of music too, because there's levels to this. You know what I'm saying? Like I got humbled when I was, when I came to LA, not only was I working at Apple, but I was also working a night job at Nick's Beverly Hills as a doorman. And the general manager was a guy named B. And he was a slick, back haired, tuxedoed out, Mexican, like just like boss. You know what I'm saying? Whenever we closed out, 2 a.m., locked the doors, turned the lights off put the music on. He became the illest rapper I have ever met in my entire life. And you would never know. You would never know. But he became this, like, this figure in my life that coached me on how to be better than I thought I was. I would play in my music. And because I'm a musician, my production and, like, song structure and things like that are, like, that was always no question. But me as, like, a rapper, a lyricist, a songwriter, an artist, that part of me Oh, had always needed development. You know what I'm saying? I'm always working at that. But he was the first person who told me he's like, Yo, Mike, you're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah,
1: and yeah. You gotta
2: get you gotta get good. You know what I'm saying? Like learning from like just shadowing rants and being in the studio, like being in the studio as a fly on the wall. Like he put a camera in my hand and I would record, you know, studio sessions that turn into rehearsals, that turn into shows that turned into me going on tour, you know what I mean? And through all of these, these things, I'm learning the highest levels of every single position. Like my first tour I went on was Jay-Z 444 tour, 1500, nothing, the band. And I I just learned how, you know, productions on that level happen. Like, how do you even put together a show like that? Then like the next year I was touring uh, with Nicki Minaj as her videographer, photographer. Watching her, you know what I'm saying? Watching two of the greats, you know, in hip hop, both man and female, male and female, Jay-Z and Nicki Minaj, arguably two of the greatest of our time ever to do it. I got to, like, study close up and personal. Why? Because I put myself in a position to learn. And that manifested in ways that I could have never thought. But looking back on it now, standing where I'm at today, it's like I have experience that i couldn't have never bought (laughs) you know what i'm saying and i'm putting that in every craft and every everything that i create from here on out
0: so it's dope absolutely absolutely it sounds like you're really good at learning from other people and learning from all the conversations that you're having and all the exposure that you're getting from all these various things that you're doing on tour it's really important to do that and um obviously has, has led you to get to where you are today because of, of that ability to just soak it all in.
2: Yeah, you got to remain a student, you know what I'm saying? Like the wise man knows he's not wise. And the only thing keeping you from like information and, you know, leveling up in your life, anybody out there who's listening to this, it, you may be a little too egotistical around your self-concept. You know what I'm saying? The ego will, will have you believing that you're the best since sliced bread. And you're so al- always supposed to believe in your inner knowing that you're the best you. You know what I'm saying? But you're always looking to become better. And you do that by being teachable and, and listening to people. And, you you know, you have two ears and one mouth. Use them proportionally, you know? so. <laughs>
0: I love that. I love that. So what's that next chapter? Is this where, where you've, you've mentioned earlier, the, the nugget for free life started, you know, you leave Apple, you leave the safe nine to five job and move into an unpaid internship, start getting exposure to all these incredibly talented people. Is, is this where that, the free life movement starts to come from, or or talk to me about that a little bit and how, how you created this, this concept. And then this company around this lifestyle, this move.
2: Yeah. So up until this point, the free life is a concept, you know what I'm saying? Like ever since college, my senior year, when I was liberated from my circumstances through very traumatic experiences, uh, (laughs) the free life became a concept that I would just push in everything that I do. Never, like I always knew it it would be something, but like up until that point, it was just a hashtag, you know? It was just something that I would continue to remind people of as they see me pursuing and climbing in this dream that they've been following me on since I was a college athlete. So, you know, there's been people who've who've watched this whole journey knowing that it's the free life, that it's the spirit of the free life that compels me to do everything that I'm doing. So during this time, you know, maybe like a year and a half or so into interning with 1500, probably like 2016, me and my girlfriend at the time have a have like a huge breakup, and we were living in a in the same apartment basically that like crushed my foundation. You know what I'm saying? It was like a really bad circumstance Oof, um, yeah. i love I love her to death, and I still give her she needs her own podcast <clears throat> <laughs> yeah um, you know what I'm saying, but like that really crushed my foundation and I went from finally getting my footing to losing it all again and this time. This time I have to s- sleep on my cousin's couch for what became a year. I thought it was going to be like um, a month or maybe two, but that month or two turned into a year. And that became one of the most humbling experiences of my life because at that point, I really knew that I didn't know so much. You know what I'm saying? Like everything that I was doing was with the right intent, but not with the right practical modalities so i would spend hours and days on days in the bookstore just consuming non-stop books and information from like 2016 like january to 2016 august i probably read 50 to 60 books on personal development lifestyle wellness business uh emotional intelligence all these books that were recommended by you know rance and james and then just, you know, other people that I I would then call mentors as well. Dr. Russell Clayton, who I met through my through uh, my ex, he became a mentor to me as I helped him write a book called The Greater You. Rance became a mentor. My good friend Tommy, who's a, an entrepreneur, a uh, young entrepreneur like us, he has a hemp clothing and products brand called Super Ego. And he put me onto so many different books. So like I was just in this state of like reconstruction at this point. And um, during this time, uh, I was able to think different and think clear with all this new information I was getting. So I remember one time I got to the studio and they were saying that there was a client there who needed like content for an app. So this was the first time they were like, they were actually throwing me a play. They're like, you know, like I've, yeah. I've been there for a couple, couple like a year or so. And they're like, oh, well, we're getting, we are a music company. But now that we have Mike here, we're also like a digital media company, too. So here talk to mike so i'm talking to this the client and this is my first time like doing this you know what i'm saying like
1: yeah
2: yeah i'm 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 a student at this point but now all of a sudden i'm getting i'm talking about like a five-figure deal you know what i'm saying like a five-figure project and they're throwing numbers around and all these different things and um i'm excited about it i'm calling my mom i'm like yo mom they wanted to pay me twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> to create. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying, like yeah. And long story short, the deal the deal doesn't go through. Mm. And yeah, right. It was like,
0: oh, oh yeah, just wind let out of here. Yeah.
2: yeah, and it was as devastating as it was. It actually created a new sense of urgency in me. It actually gave me a new hope and a new possibility. I was like, wait a minute. I'm not mad that I didn't get. on that project I'm actually happy because now I know somebody was actually willing to pay me 25. I almost made $25,000 on one project. Like what the fuck, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and that reality struck a nerve. I was like, Oh snap. Matter of fact, it was a blessing that I didn't get that deal because I didn't have a business. (laughs) You know what I mean? So after, after that moment, I was like, yo, I'm about to incorporate. I'm about to make Free Life a, a business. So I made, you know, me and my mom, she helped me. She's a very great operations person. And that's why she's my business operations manager to this day. Um, we it. got... We shout to mom. Yeah. Got out to mom, yeah. out to mom <laughs> the walls, holding it down. Always has. So we we put together, you know, the company, Free... It was what? Free Life Entertainment, LLC at first. And that's what I used to... Now that I had like the uh, mentality to go after big deals and big projects, I was like, okay, well now I'm gonna funnel it through this LLC that I just formed, and um, so I started, you know, pitching people, and that's when where I, where I became kind of like a digital media freelance entrepreneur. Uh, my first client was my best friend Jelani. He was playing at he was playing in um, he was playing at the Miami Dolphins at the time, and he just got picked up by the Oakland Raiders, and I, my goal for him was to create a digital footprint and a digital brand that would brand him outside of the game of football so that it transitions him into whatever he wanted to do then after. Because I, I experienced that world shift before him and before all of my NFL friends and I, and I had that knowledge. So, you know, we put together, I was the creative director for his youth football camp, uh, mind body sports camp. For the past, like, what, three, four years, I got hired to run his social media and um, build his, you know, digital media infrastructure. And then that's kind of what started my creative agency. You know, that's what Free Life ended up being at first. It wasn't until later that I understood what the brand was and would be. But at first it just became like um, a company that would just filter different projects, different creative projects that I was now getting yeah that's 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 pretty much how free life the business came to be
0: all right so that concludes part one of my conversation with mike walls we have a lot more to cover and go even deeper into the mindset of where mike is today and what he is doing in terms of his music career how he views the future of free life enterprises and his money mindset and what he's learned from being around all these incredibly talented and amazing artists. So I hope that you have enjoyed my conversation so far and be sure to tune in next week for part two of my conversation with the Mike Walls. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Silicon Alley podcast. It really means a lot. Be sure to share the podcast with others that you think would enjoy. And if you have not clicked subscribe, please click subscribe Future, future episodes. I'm your host, William Glass, and that's it for the Silicon Alley podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.
1: You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a circle saying, I'll never leave this place. Ooh. Some words got you searching for the bright side over and over until you're looking on the inside. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, one life that's a feeling that you can't find, holding the whole window, only keep you on the outside.
0: Special thanks to Brett Miller for providing his song, Million Voices, as the theme music to this podcast. Special thanks to Carolina Gankars for help directing, and thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions for future episodes or future guests to appear on the Silicon Alley podcast, follow us on social media and shoot us a message at Silicon Alley podcast. On all the socials, Twitter, it's at Silicon Alley pod. Thanks so much for listening. This is a Financial Glass production. You know that feeling of perfectly timing the stock market, making millions of dollars? Getting paid what you're worth and having your boss appreciate you? Or winning the lottery whenever you feel like buying a ticket? Yeah, neither do we. It seems like everyone else gets a cut of your hard-earned money before you do. And no one seems to want you to save, invest, and get rich. Well, don't worry. At Ostrich, we are changing all that. We at Ostrich believe you deserve better than the status quo. We want everyone to live a life where money is no longer a source of stress, especially you. Ostrich is a mobile app that helps you easily set and track your money goals. Joining the Ostrich flock means you'll be surrounded by others who also want you to be wealthy and happy. Ever felt like you needed an accountability buddy to help you get that money and to make those tougher financial choices? Ostrich has you covered. The best part is Ostrich is free. And no, we aren't a bank or a broker. We are different. We are folks who are fed up with the system. Sign up for Ostrich at getostrich.com and join the flock today.